Well, good morning. My name is Melissa, and I serve as one of the staff leaders here at Westside Christian Church in Springfield, Illinois. Thanks so much for joining us at SpireCast today. We all know that ministry is extremely challenging. Leaders face a steady stream of internal and external pressures we're not always equipped to handle. Churches and ministries need resilient, healthy leaders who lead from a place of wholeness, and we all know that doesn't happen without intentionality. That's why we've created SpireCast. Spire wants to provide practical resources that equip you to lead effectively from a place of wholeness. We want to see leaders thrive. And that's why twice a month we offer an opportunity for our Spire community to hear from a leading expert. And then we give you a chance to ask questions that are specific to your situation. Today, I am thrilled we get to talk to Steve Cuss about managing leadership anxiety. Steve's an author, a coach, and a speaker who has devoted his life to helping leaders manage leadership anxiety. Steve started his ministry journey as a hospital chaplain, where he first learned about family systems theory. He later became the lead pastor at Discovery Christian Church in Colorado, and then in 2019 published his high-impact book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, which is a title I just love. Personally, I've been deeply impacted by Steve's work, and if you invest the next 30 minutes with us, I think you will be too. Steve, thanks for joining us on Spirecast today. Melissa, great to see you. Great to be with you today. Could we start off by you telling us more about your journey of learning about family systems theory in the hospital to utilizing in pastoral leadership? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's so funny. I graduated from Bible college, uh, you know, in some ways a classic young white male, just fairly unaware of the negative edge of my impact, not really un understanding what's going on under the surface in me. I'm an Australian and Aussies, those of you who know any Aussies, and if you don't, I'm so sorry because, you know, everyone should know at least one Aussie in their life. But anyway, um, if you know Aussies, we work really hard to look laid back. And that was me. I, I had that cheerful, no worries kind of thing. Well, there's nothing like death and just to strip away all that pretense. So, so my first shift in the hospital was a 28-hour overnight shift. Within an hour and a half, I'm in a room with screaming people and grief and completely lost. And that, that really was the beginning for me of a journey of getting to know myself and, and learning the surprising reality that what's going on under the surface deeply impacts my ability to pastor well. Mm -hmm. And that's why I translate it into church leadership as well. So in that chaplaincy, I was incredibly fortunate to be trained by a family systems theorist who himself was trained by the founder of systems theory. Systems theory, it's just learning to notice when anxiety spreads and first learning to notice when it's spread in you because that's actually quite hard to know and then learning to notice when it's spread in a group. So if any leader can just get some basic systems theory under their belt, it's amazing how they can change stuck patterns, long-term behaviors, um, lower their irritability, increase their ability to connect with a wide range of people. That's also, you know, you think about chaplaincy, the, the job is to walk into a room and, and profoundly emotionally connect with strangers in the worst moment of their life. And system theory really helped me do that because I could get out of my own way so one example, Melissa, would be I, I have an unending need to always have the answer. And so put me in a room of grieving people where someone's screaming, mm -hmm. how could God allow this to happen? If I'm not careful, I'll actually try to answer that question rather than realize they're not actually asking a question. 
that, that would be a simple example. So yeah, it's, it's been profound in my life. It's changed my life. Um, there's a lot of theological sides to it too we can get into, but that would be my answer to get us going. Well, Steve, can you talk to us a little bit about the theology of anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, anxiety is a, a one word that covers broad territory and there's all kinds of anxieties. I, I think there's something like 15 or 18 different types of anxiety. If you kind of think about it like a football playbook, every anxiety has its own playbook. So system theory or what I train in only is interested in chronic anxiety. So if you think about grief, everyone knows what grief is when when you suffer a loss of any kind. Even through COVID, a lot of pastors are grieving of what they've lost. Um, but grief has a playbook and it's a different playbook than chronic anxiety. Chronic anxiety is based on assumptions and false beliefs. So my assumption that I must always have the answer, uh, my assumption that everybody I ever meet must like me. And if somebody doesn't like me and I feel that what happens in me is what's called chronic anxiety, I get reactive. So the best way to notice chronic anxiety is you're looking for reactivity in yourself and in your people. And what you're looking for is when people get bigger or smaller than their normal size. So when I'm reactive, most of the time I get bigger. I interrupt people. I speak louder. I must have the last word, this kind of stuff. That's showing that I'm actually in the grip of what's called chronic anxiety. Uh, chronic anxiety, what's fascinating about it, Melissa, it's the only kind of anxiety that's contagious. Grief is not contagious. Trauma is not contagious. But we all catch assumptions from each other because we're all constantly putting assumptions on each other. Uh, you know, I'm a pastor and uh, people come up down front after I preach and maybe it's their first week at church. Maybe they're already believers. Maybe they've moved from another state. They don't know me as Steve. They know me as this species known as preacher. Mm -hmm. And they're putting all these assumptions on me about what it means for me to be a preacher. And if I'm a people pleaser, their assumptions infect with my assumptions about myself. And now I'm full of chronic anxiety. So where that gets intersected with the gospel is chronic anxiety always puts us in a false reality. Always. So the idea that the family comes down front and maybe they say something like, uh, you know, at our last church, Steve, the preacher just exegeted the Greek in such a way that really moved us. Well, that's them putting an assumption on me. And if I am a people pleaser, I will say to myself, well, then I must use more Greek in order to. And, and this is like a micro example that happens 50 times a day. So now I'm in a false reality. I'm no longer where God is. I'm now operating out of my own steam or what the Bible calls the self. And God only ever exists in reality. And, uh, you know, Jesus says truth sets us free. So I think there's a profound intersection between our own deepest, most personal relationship with Jesus Christ and our chronic anxiety. It's why I've given my life to teaching it, because I, I find chronic anxiety to be one of the most powerful ways to engage God. Well, Steve, we're going to keep it real here on Spirecast. I'm in a room and I've not moved enough here recently. So my lights have gone out. There we go. No, I'm back. Well, hey, I'm I'm apparently in a black cave by the look of my writing. <laughs> Maybe I was trying to join you in that black yeah. cave for a while. Well, hey, can we turn the page a little bit and talk about the anxiety you're seeing present itself 
among church leaders these days? Can you get real practical for us? Absolutely. I, you know, I think the reason I've gotten so busy, uh, because I was a lead pastor through COVID. I, I led us through that until December of 2021. So I've only been doing this work I'm doing now full time since January of this year. So I, I know firsthand the the pain and the grief and the massive relational tension that came with 2020 and 2021. What, what I see now, and then I'll answer what I saw going into COVID, what I see now is a general hangover, I would call it. Like, feels like a COVID hangover. Like, we're all kind of trying to wake up and clear our heads. By the way, I've never experienced a hangover firsthand. I don't know actually what it's like, but I imagine I've been with enough friends who have been hungover that this kind of fog, this low energy, I think a lot of us are trying to figure out, okay, what's real, what can we expect? I think there's a lot of grief that, oh man, we thought our people were more discipled in Jesus than they are in their political preference. Like that's been, um, I think we always suspected it, but COVID in 2020, uh, the, the election, the racial issues, it all, it all showed us, man, so many of our people are actually not discipled in Jesus at all. Um, now on a clinical perspective, talk about assumptions People's, people cannot manage their chronic anxiety, and so they're always trying to dump it. Uh, if you just picture that everyone has an invisible bucket, and it's almost always full of chronic anxiety, and then something happens, like the January 6th insurrection, for example, and suddenly our bucket is overflowing, we're just trying to dump it, and a lot of our congregations dumped it on their pastors. Uh, I, I got those angry phone calls and those angry emails as well. So I think a lot of our pastors are pretty weary. I think I think we're pretty ready to get back to the fundamentals of the Great Commission mm. and try to help our people remember this is why we do what we do. There's nothing like the local church. I, I also think one of the things we don't we don't connect to COVID, but it's actually profoundly connected, is the unending scandals of public Christian leaders. Yes. You know, if you just take a, a, a tally since 2018, a lot of who we would have considered the pillars of public Christian leadership um, have been exposed. And so all of that's really taken a toll on pastors. What, what I think happened before COVID, I think we came into March of 2020 running on fumes without a properly integrated self, without really believing that our own relationship with Jesus is more important than our output for Jesus. And I think that's a lot of the reason we've struggled through COVID is we, we actually weren't very grounded as a son or daughter of God. We were more grounded as an employee of God. Um, and that, that won't get you through. So when I was a chaplain, I remember George, uh, the, the head chaplain, pulling me aside. And he said, look, when you're in the emergency room, your job is to figure out what was going on in that family one minute before they got the phone call about the accident. You know, let's say their daughter is in a crash and she's on the gurney. Well, somebody phones them. What was going on before they got the phone call? My job as a chaplain is to figure that out because that's what's going to be happening after the phone call. And I think a lot of us uh, are a bit sloppy with our language. We say, well, COVID caused this, but that COVID era didn't cause anything. It just, like an emergency room, it just revealed what was going on in our soul before COVID. So, you know, my heart and soul, Melissa, is to really challenge 
leaders to be as kind to themselves as they are to their people. Oh, that is and, beautiful. Yeah. And that's like, I don't think, you know, a lot of people, um, they like to use guilt and shame to talk about Bible study and prayer. I, no, I, I'm just saying that your soul is worth being loved. And most of us get into ministry because we want to serve others. So we're not very aware of ourselves, And we, we think it's selfish to take care of ourselves. And I'm just trying to make a case that it's the most selfless thing you can do is to be know yourself and enjoy your God at least as much as you're telling others about God. Well, Steve, one of the things I really appreciate about your book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, is the subtitle, Yours and Theirs, yeah. because you are uh, influenced by the anxiety around you. Can yeah. you talk just real practically to us as church leaders? What are some things that we could put into practice right away to help manage our own anxiety? And then can you speak some to managing the anxiety of others? Yes. So it always starts with yourself because it, what you're trying to do is stop spreading it. And you're probably not aware, particularly, let's talk to the classic type A driven lead pastor. Maybe your church has grown. You've seen some success. Uh, yes, that's a gift from God. And yes, you might also be the most frustrating person on your team and not realize it. Sure. Or worse yet, you might not care. I've, mm -hmm. I've run into a lot of lead pastors that actually don't care because they say, well, that's the price. Everyone has to pay for, for growth. And I'm just the way I am. And I'm just trying to say, no, you can stop being the primary generator of anxiety in your team. And then your second job is to stop catching it. And yeah, it, it is hard. And it's, it's a deeper work that's hard to, to talk about quickly on a show like this. But basically, if you're just aware that the first thing chronic anxiety does when it shows up is it numbs you to its presence. So, so the typical human is not aware that we're anxious when we are anxious. So what a brave leader can do is get your team in a room and assuming that you're safe to tell the truth to, which is an assumption, you can ask your team, how do you experience me when I'm anxious? Just, and, and especially if you don't think you're an anxious person, then I would say call that meeting today at two o'clock. If you don't think you're anxious, call an emergency meeting and say to your team, look, I don't think I'm anxious at all. But if you've seen me when I'm anxious, I would like to hear it. What's it like for you? Now, some of your team will not tell you the truth because you own their paycheck and maybe you've barked at them before and you've already broken trust. But if your team trusts you, they'll tell you. Now, by the time somebody is nine years of age, they can tell you when you're anxious, when you don't know you're anxious. So I've trained my children in this and each of my kids have pulled me aside and said, Dad, I think you're anxious right now and you're not aware of it. Because typically we're, we're the last to know. So that would be the most practical thing a leader could do. And then the second thing is, is that in your next team meeting, pay as much attention to the process between people as you do to the agenda. And what that looks like is, is you, you already know these patterns, but bring them to the surface. Ask yourself, well, who's always the first person to speak up? Uh, who never speaks up? Who, who has their own secret meeting after the meeting? Now, you probably already know the answer to those questions, but that's evidence that your group is in an anxious pattern and you as a leader have the most power to change that. So those would be the two tips I would give. Well, Steve, I think some people recognize that they carry anxiety, but other people have it and don't realize it. What are the 
what are some of the symptoms that indicate a person is anxious, a person is anxious, but they may not realize it? Yeah. Yeah. So people don't realize like, so the out, outward symptoms would be mansplaining. Anytime a man explains something to a woman that a woman already knows, that man is anxious. Now, that does not help a whole lot, Melissa, when you get mansplained, but it helps you a little bit. Um, having, the, having to have the last word, being in a meeting and feeling like I must speak up when you may not have to. Some of these are the external signs. Interrupting, listening to defend rather than listening to learn. There's a lot of signs Mostly other people can see it. The internal signs, the best way is to start with your body. And I write about this in the book is pay attention to when your mind speeds up. So this is my sign. I know I'm anxious because my mind gets faster and faster and faster and faster. That's the sign that I've gotten anxious. Otherwise, your heart speeds up is another sign, literally a racing heart. Or you're clenched. So your, your jaw or your shoulders or your gut. Those would be the three simplest signs in your body that you're anxious. And, and the most, the two powerful tools is number one is to pause. So, so anxiety has a gospel and one of its messages is just keep going, just keep doing what you're doing. Just try mm -hmm. harder. So if you can learn to first notice you're anxious and then get off the anxiety treadmill, because anxiety is putting you on a treadmill and you ain't going nowhere, but it's, it's making you believe if I just run faster, I'll, I'll get somewhere. So what that looks like in my life is I believe that I can worry my way to peace. Even though I've never done it in my life, in the moment, I believe a lie. If I just worry more, I'll get to peace. But the, I, I, I have to pause. And then once I've paused, I have to move into a posture of curiosity. A anxiety does not know what to do in the presence of love, laughter, and curiosity. And so quite often, for example, I'll openly ask my wife for a hug because being enveloped in love dissipates anxiety or what John says, perfect love casts out fear. Um, laughter, unless the laughter is aimed at someone, but if it's absurdity or just general fun, that dissipates anxiety and curiosity. Uh, so trying to say, oh, I wonder what's going on right now. And once you've paused and entered into curiosity, now you can actually look for God. And, and what you'll find is you've forgotten that God's with you. And so what I do is I try to pause long enough to remember, oh, God's with me. And then when I really relax into the grace of God is when I remember God's actually already in that situation I'm anxious about. So if I'm anxious about my sermon, as I'm walking out to preach, I'm actually praying as I walk out and say, okay, Lord, you're already in that pulpit or in our case, music stand, you're already there and you're already at work. I don't actually, it's not my steam. It's your spirit. It's by your spirit. Um, if I'm anxious about an elders meeting, as I'm walking into that room, I'm saying, Lord, you're at work in this group of men and women. And uh, all I have to do is pay attention to your work. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to always know everything. I don't have to be defensive. Um, those would be some practical things. So it's pause, enter into curiosity, and remember the Lord would be like that kind of three-step process there. Steve, I think it was worth the price of admission just to hear the love, laughter, and curiosity. Mm. How can we develop that among the teams that we lead? 
Right. So, you know, I do think the primary leader's primary job is team culture. Uh, and this is not obviously not new with me. Almost every organizational leadership coach is, is saying, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, people don't leave job descriptions. They leave job relationships. That's why they're leaving the team. And so if you can build team health um, and, and out of love is what flows productivity. Uh, and so, you know, my job, I'm, I'm, I was born a youngest, so I'm naturally playful. So as the lead pastor, I just brought a lot of playfulness to our team. One of the most tangible things I do in a staff meeting is I bring prizes, uh, just goofy. Sometimes there's gift cards, but sometimes it's like produce. Like I, one, one staff <laughs> meeting, I gave away romaine lettuce and a bell pepper. Like you don't, you don't have to spend a lot of money to have fun, but I'm always making sure we're celebrating somebody in public. We're giving away prizes. Ministry is really hard. And because it's based on eternity, it gets way too earnest, way too earnest. And so I think playfulness, actually in systems theory, playfulness is one of the signs you're looking for, for a healthy culture. It, the, you're looking on the earnestness, playfulness scale. And if people are too earnest and if they're offended too easily, also known as Twitter, um, <laughs> and you look at Twitter, it's crazy place for a high offense. That's because there's so much anxiety in the system that everyone's catching from each other. So I think that's really important. And then on an individual level, Every employee of God is first a child of God. And so learning to cultivate a list of the gifts that God gave you because you're his kid, not the spiritual gifts that Paul talks about, the gifts that Jesus talks about in the Gospels where Jesus says, your father loves to give good gifts to your kids, his kids. And so for me, I've got my guitar sitting on the wall five feet away. That's a gift from God to get to play it. Um, my wife is a gift from God. I keep a list of God's gifts and I've got 160 items on my list. And so that means that every day it's easy for me to stub my toe on the love of God through the gifts that God's given me. Uh, some of these gifts are very quick and, and accessible. Some of them I have to budget time and money for like a day in the mountains fly fishing or for me, one of the things on my list is chanting Gregorian with the nuns at the monastery an hour up the road. It's really amazing when you go on a hunt for the gifts of God, you run into them everywhere. And so that's what I would encourage people to do is make a life-giving list um, because it can displace anxiety and, and balance out the earnestness. Well, it would be great if we could just snap our fingers and become a non-anxious presence but this is a long, slow work. And many of us leaders like immediate progress. We want to see action today. We want to see ourselves climb mountains. Can you speak some words to leaders who might be discouraged about how this uh, sense of calm and, and presence is developing in their life? It's such a great question, Melissa. I, I love that question because the fact that leaders are in such a hurry to be transformed is the problem. And that's, that was the thinking before COVID. And so the question is, when, you, when are we going to learn our lesson that soul transformation is slow, deep, brave work? Um, and I often, and you've not done this, but I do often find myself in a podcast or something where someone says, right, just give us, boil it down for me. Give us the top three. 
And I always say, well, step one is, is set your stopwatch for three years. And step two is be incredibly kind and patient. <laughs> right now, I'm doing some work with some Singaporean leaders in Singapore. And they warned me. They, they said, you know, our cultural issue is that we, we so want efficiency. And then as I've been Zooming with them, they're telling me off for not giving them enough content. Okay, we got it. What's next? What's next? And I had to say to them, I'm like, you, you warned me that you'd do this, but you're doing it like you're making me anxious. I'm actually having to do my own work because I'm worried that I'm not giving you enough, but I'm, play, I'm, I'm catching it from you. So slow work, brave work. I, I would say to leaders, if you can live this way one out of 20 times in the beginning, so 19 out of 20 times you're going to be anxious, one out of 20 times you're going to be at peace, that's a good start. And then after three years of, of intention, uh, you can get that score up to three out of 10 or six out of 20. And on the one hand, you say, well, that's a terrible score. I would just say, first of all, uh, Major League Baseball batters get paid millions of dollars to succeed three out of 10 times. So it's a great score. And, and secondly, what I found in my life is this, this idea of a non-anxious presence is it's a misnomer. We use that phrase because that's the technical phrase in systems theory. But I, I find it misleading because I'm anxious all the time. I, 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 I'm not Yoda. I've not graduated to this serene state. I'm not the Dali freaking Lama, you know, like I'm an anxious person. And I found that three out of 10 times is life changing. Um, just those, those minute encounters where I'm flooded with the love of God, it, that, that's good. I can, I can go a long way on three out of 10. So I've been doing this work 20 something years and I'm probably at a four to five out of 10. Uh, and I'm really proud of that, that grade. That's a good score. Steve, thanks for normalizing that for us, that there's nothing wrong with us if we sense anxiety in our daily lives. God has given us tools to, to battle and to keep working and keep transforming. Um, but that this is a long, slow work and acclimating us to that three-year journey. It's really a lifelong journey, but that three-year acclimation, I think, is really helpful. Yeah, so if people are watching today and they know they have more work to do, where can they find out more about you and the resources you offer, Steve? Yeah. So my, my resources are at capablelife.me. Uh, Capable Life is my company. The first three letters are capable, C-A-P, connected, aware, and present. So what I do is I take people from anxious to connected, aware, and present. That's, a, that's kind of a capable leader. So capablelife.me, if you can't remember that, you can go to stevecusswords.com and that'll get you over to there. But yeah, I mean, I've been teaching this in my church for, we do one and two year classes on this. And it's just little bits at a time, every other week, couple of hours. And so Capable Life is an online community that's for anybody. Obviously, everyone can't come to our church here in Colorado, but it's the online version. And you can sign up and join for six months or a couple of years and just drip, drip, drip your way through all of these tools. And we have self-assessments and monthly Zooms with a coach, a whole package there that people can, if they want to dive deeper for themselves or their team. That's wonderful. Well, Steve, thank you so much for this conversation. I know it's going to help a lot of leaders. And if you're watching today and you would like to continue the conversation, like the one we've had today with Steve, 
We hope that you'll join us on September 27th through 29th in Orlando for the 2022 SPIRE conference. Leaders need encouragement right now, and what better place to find it than in Orlando amidst others who are in the trenches with you in ministry trying to build God's church in this cultural moment. So visit spire.network to learn more and to register, and we hope to see you there. Thanks and have a great day.